Who's got a praise report that they'd like to come tell what Jesus has been doing? Okay, Myra, come up here and tell us what the Lord has done, girl. Step up here with me. Okay, a little help here. Amen. Uh, first night I came, Thurman called me up because I showed him a, a cast on an arm, and I had a double miracle there. We'll go to that because I'll tell you some more about that another time. Because I want to give you, in three minutes, somebody give me a timer now, a six-generation blessing, okay? Yes. All right, my great-uncle... Uh, whose name was Walker, Piner was the end of it, up in Sherman area, uh, was a, a Methodist circuit rider, and born around uh, 1850. So in that area, it was a spirit-filled area during that day. Did you know that? I've researched that through the public libraries because I'm so thrilled to know I had a spirit-filled great-uncle. Uh, the second uncle, whose name was Howell, founded the first Bible, the first blind school, School for the Blind in Texas of the same generation. And my own grandfather, whose name was Bob Piner, and he's got a junior high named after him in Sherman. You know, we, we made some kind of impact back along those lines. And he taught a Methodist Bible school, the same one, for 50 years. Wow. And in that same Bible, that same church, I was saved, went to every church, they, every, the door was open. And that's what I thought was serving God. I know you know how that goes, sermon. Uh, so I got saved at seven and then just wandered around until I was 49, and, and I played organ at the church. My husband was on the board of stewards. We were Methodist, you know. And uh, we both taught Sunday school, and when they get brought me at 1038 and made me ask me to leave out for the eight-year-old, the phrase, and he went about, and they gave me, they said I could say he went about doing good. You know, he was not with Holy Spirit. He went about doing good, but they asked me to leave out the line that said, and he healed all those who were oppressed of the devil. And I went to my superior, and I said, I can't teach this to eight-year-olds. And they said, yes, you can. And I think I, I think I was gracious enough to finish out the day, but that was the last time I taught a Methodist Sunday school. And my heart so burned, but it took me a long time to stand up and say, well, God, if I'll do even this thing of speaking in tongues, which I think is the dumbest thing I ever heard. How could God Almighty come up with an idea like that? But I said, I'll do even that, Lord, if you just bless me. Because I was suicidal by this time. And I mean, that's serious. I couldn't get out of bed. All the whole story, raising children in the midst of all this stuff. All right. So my great uncles, uh, my two of them, and my grandfather were all godly men. And all leadership, integrity people. And my own mother... Uh, thought suffering was the way, but we know a lot of people who think that's it. At the same time, she was one staunch lady. And before she died, and I had gone up to Sherman to oversee her the last three months of her life, and she said, I'm not sure I'm saved. And I said, yeah, you are. And we went through it all again. And we said, hallelujah, we all know where she is. All right, there's one generation, there's a second generation, and then I came along, you've already heard my story. Uh, and I married the most godly man I'd ever met outside Thurman. I told him <laughs> that I never knew anyone like my husband until I met Thurman. So I sure am glad you found him in time. Uh, so Glenn and I produced, there's a fourth generation, produced our eldest daughter, Denise, and she is just a reproduction of her daddy, the man of integrity, godly all the way. I don't think she ever stepped out of line. Now, we'll talk about my history along that line. Out of Joanna, out of Denise, my eldest daughter, came Joanna. She's my granddaughter who does live here in town. Thank you, Jesus. And she has my great-grandson. Now, this is why I tell you these, this history. I came to Thurman, and, and Wendell was standing right beside him, and I said, My heart's desire. I saw the demonic activity in my great-grandson. I said, Father, but I don't know how to handle this. First place, Daddy wasn't very responsive to me. You, you all know the stories. And... 
So I just came to them and I said, let's us take care of it, Thurman. You, you and w- Wendell agreed with me. And of course, they just prayed for me. You know how they take care of us folks who don't know what to say. And he, so we took authority and cast that devil out. And the minute we got through, I remember saying, it's done. And I brought a friend to Hegel today and I said, that's what you say when he finishes praying. Say, done. And the next day, this little granddaughter, Joanna, and her great, my great-grandson, whose name is Jet, we're out in California, and she is my confidant in the Lord. This this granddaughter is as much like me in the Lord, you know, that 33-year-old can be. And she said, uh, Jack was sick last night. And I said, no, darling, he wasn't sick. He was delivered. And she understood exactly what I meant. Now, this is the end of that wonderful story. I never had told you that. Thank you, Jesus. He's faithful every time, every time, isn't he? And three days ago, Joanna was... Uh, Jet was wanting to play with me. He's an active, going to be four in July. I said, uh, y'all know what that's like? <laughs> uh, so uh, she, he wanted her to come play. And she said, darling, mommy can't play right now. My tummy hurts. And he walked over to her and laid his hand on her tummy. And he said, you be healed in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Six generations out of that Methodist circuit riding. Is that a thrill or what our God says? Amen. Praise the King. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm telling you, folks, this girl's borderlining radical. Praise the King. I love radical ladies. I'll say for Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. Who else has got a praise report? Miss Deanna? Come up here, girl. Tell us what Jesus has done for you. No, you can hold it. You can hold it if you'd like. Well... I have been estranged from my brother who lives in Nashville for the last three months because each time when I try to talk to him, he, the de- demons speak to him and attack me in the most despicable way. And then on the end, he hangs up. He would hang up on me. So I, didn't, I was scared to call him. And my dear friend, who is a gift from God, Michael Pickens, told me recently, what if your brother died who happened to be sick? But he, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to voice it, what he's sick of. And the last words that you had with him was, you know, quarrel or whatever. When, he, when Michael talks to his family who does not accept him either, he always said on the end, I love you. Okay, so I, last Sunday I went to Pastor Sermon, and Pastor Sermon prayed the prayer of faith and protection, you know, from the demons and all that. So I, w- I went home, and I was not afraid, because many times I wanted to call my brother, but I was, I was really afraid. But this time I wasn't, thanks to the prayer of the mighty man of God. So I called my brother and he answered, and it was like we never stopped talking to each other. He was a totally different person. And (laughs) on the end I told him, I love you and God bless you. And he did something say about our younger brother that for him he is dead. But I just kind of silently under my, you know, I was like saying to demon to shut up. Not to my brother, but to demon. He didn't hear it, I mean my brother, but the demon did, of course. So a few days went by and he called me again, you know. And he was like, wow, and we talked like normal people. So, and I also mentioned to him, you know, that I would like him to come here because he needs to be uh, delivered. So this is my praise report. And today, later on, I'm going to ask Pastor Thurman again for a prayer of faith because I've been without job. And I have repented, and I do not know if there is any sin because I have repented of every possible sin. Unforgiveness, name it. And I am without a job, so I will ask you later on, if I may, please, another prayer like that. 
that I know that God will respond to you. Actually, what I prayed to God before I came here, <laughs> and I was crying my tears out, I said, please speak through Thurman. I know when, when you speak through him that that will be the truth. And I was uh, quoting Psalm 91, uh, verse 15. And I know all Psalm 91. I said, according to Psalm 91, verse 15, you promised, you said, if I call on you, that you will answer me, that you will be with me in trouble, that you will deliver me and honor me, with a long life, you will satisfy me. Well, this time, God Almighty, I ask you, speak to me through Pastor Thurman. What is it that you want from me? Or, you, or what is it that I am doing or not doing? So I thank you because I know that you will do answer me. Okay. Thank you for listening. Praise the Lord. Deanna, you already have a job lined up for you. I've been praying for you after you gave me that to me last week. And I was out with a couple of ladies just one day, a couple of days ago, and I said something about it to them. And the one lady knows of a school that's hiring for makeup and hair and all that. So after this is over, we'll talk about it, okay? And I have a... See, guys, God's already moving. You just didn't know it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I want to give my praise report. I've already told Thurman. Last night, Christy and I were singing out at a marina in the colony at Lake Grapevine, and uh, on one of the breaks, we had we had like four little girl, eight-year-old girls that were up singing and dancing and playing tambourine with us all during the set. And on the break, um, they all came over and took one of our little flyers and wanted us to sign it. And so we were doing that. We sat down. We were signing it. And the one little girl, she was eight and a half. Her name was Laramie. And she gave me her schedule. Christy already had signed it. And she said, but, but don't, she said, don't write. I want you to print on it. And I said, well, why do you want me to print on it? And she said, well, because I don't read cursive very well. And I said, well, we need to pray about that then. And so I wrote what I wrote on it. And then I, and then I took it. I said, here, give me your hands and we'll pray about it. So we prayed and, and I quoted the, the blank check, which is John 14, 13, 14. It says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that I will do for you, that the Father may be glorified through the Son, and I will do whatever ye will ask, in, you know, in his name. So that's what we prayed. And I asked God to bless her and to give her the eyes to be able to read cursive from that point forward. So, okay, I, I handed her the schedule. I said, Okay, now read it to me. And it's, I think I said, um, Larry, me, uh, you, you are a, a beautiful young lady, God loves you, and so do we. And I put a little heart inside my name. Well, she got all excited, and she said, well, can I get one for my teacher? And I said, yes. So she went and got it, and I was for Miss Emanuel, and I wrote, you have a precious student in uh, Laramie. Uh, We love her. And she took it, and I said, okay, read it to me. And she read it, precious student, everything, eight and a half years old, and she was just jumping for joy. Amen. And God good. He is more than good. Praise the Lord. Wow, yes, he is more than good. See, this is what I've told you, that there's, I mean, I'm no, no offense, ladies, but I had made a statement whenever somebody asked me, he said, or, will you ever get married again? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. There's no woman for me in the future. I know. Because no offense to the ladies, but I don't run into many ladies that's on fire for Jesus. Now, that's a shame, but I don't run into many guys either. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, you put me in a new realm. I mean, and, and, and you've done it. He's done it completely. I said, Lord, the only way that, only way I could possibly ever have a woman that would be a part of me, she would have to be on fire for you because I said, Lord, I am sick and tired of playing church. Now then, you know, I mean, whenever you've walked in the anointing, I've had the privilege to walk in. Most people would, most people have a desire to be where I was December 
the 26th. But I was no wise pleased with where I was in December the 26th. So that's when I stood before the Lord and I said, Lord, I'm tired of playing church. I want you to use me in a much mightier way because I know your capacity to do things far exceeds what I've ever seen you do. Although I've seen you raise the dead, I've seen you put recreate organs in people's body, I've seen you do awesome things, I've seen you take off warts, scars, I've seen you heal diabetes, I've seen you do everything technically, but in the quantity that you're, and the quality that you're able to do it, I know I've still not touched the hem of your garment. So I want to do something greater for you, and I'm tired of playing church. And uh, as I made that statement to the Lord, of course, he immediately the next day put me on four more radio stations around the country, and then he put me on another radio station, and now then, of course, this last week I've gotten all kinds of phone calls because a few weeks ago I'd done a week's worth of radio shows with Sid Roth, and I guess he's played those all over because I've got phone calls and emails from all over. I mean, you know, it's amazing how he's praying those and playing those. And as they do, people call me and want me to pray for them and send them tapes and everything else. So when it gets down to where you're almost 24-7 with no sleep, no sleep, it's got to where a standard thing, go to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning, get up at 7. Go to bed at 3 o'clock, get up at 7. All night long, reading voicemail. I try to answer voicemails until 11 o'clock. And then after 11 o'clock, I don't call many people unless they're out west. You know, then I can call to 12 there and then up to 1 in California. And so I know all those things. And so I minister to people until that time's gone. And when that time's gone, then I start answering emails. And so I read emails and answer them until uh, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning because, you know, people... And it's amazing how many people still sitting at their computer. <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me. I send an email at 1.45 and, and three minutes later I get a reply. What are you doing up so late? Wow. Well, there's somebody out there just like me, I guess. Either that or they're night owls. I don't know whether they're sleeping all day or what, but I'm, I'm not. But anyway, it's gotten to where it's so tremendous. And now then the speaking engagements everywhere has picked up and everything else. Uh, I just thought whenever that prophet made that statement last year at the Full Gospel Businessmen's meeting, there was probably 50, 60 people there. And I got up and spoke for an hour or whatever. And just as I finished, the guy stood right up in the bunch. He looked right at me, put his finger right toward me. He said, God just showed me he's got a woman in your future, in the very near future. And I said, yeah, sure he does. I said, if he does, he'll tell me. But I won't hear from you. And so I didn't believe him. And then when a young lady, and if you're here today, you know, uh, you don't have to acknowledge yourself or anything. There's no problem. But a young lady walked up to me and said, Thurman, I don't know why God told me to do this. But he told me to give you this lady's wedding ring. I said, what am I supposed to do? They had the certification from the jeweler and everything, what it's worth and everything. I said, what am I supposed to do with this? She said, I don't know. But she said, God told me to give it to you. So I just put it in my safe. I thought, am I supposed to sell this? What am I supposed to do with it? So I just put it in the safe. And I never thought about it again until the morning after I asked Cheryl to marry me. And then I thought about it. And so she's already wearing it. (laughs) She's already wearing her ring. She and I, technically speaking, I know everybody looks at things in a different light, but technically speaking, the very minute that she and I, after I asked her to marry me, and we stood in the parking lot and I embraced her and kissed her, as far as I'm concerned, right there when we kissed, we became one flesh. That's how intimate a kiss can be. We literally became one right there. You know, now, 
that's the way I look at it. You know, we are one already. Of course, January, I mean, not January, but June the 6th, we will make our vows here, and then we'll be married with a marriage license, and then all the rest of the things that goes along with the wedding will be ours also. But she's a wonderful girl. I love this lady with all my heart, and I had no idea God was going to send her to me, but it sure has changed my life in the last couple of weeks. I don't mind telling you. It has changed my life. But she's going to be a big help to me in the ministry. She's going to help me in lots of ways. And she's going to travel with me. And everybody is calling and say, we want you to come. I told Elaine. Elaine works for me as my secretary. I told her, I said, Elaine, from this day forth, or from the middle of June on, I said, anybody calls, instead of having one ticket, they got to have two. You know, so we're going to go together. So anyway, who else has another praise report before we teach the Word of God today? we got another praise report? Come up here. Praise the Lord. Let's give God the glory, the wonderful things He's doing. He is changing a lot of people's lives. Praise the Lord, young lady. Step up here on this platform with me. Step up here with me. Come on up here. Goodness gracious. Tell us what God has done in your life. Praise God. I was going to try and sit back there and be shy, but I can't hold it. Praise the Lord. There's nothing too small for God, and I just want to give Him praise on today before the people, before His people. Praise God. About... um, Two or three weeks ago, we had lost, uh, or maybe I did, uh, honey, <laughs> I'll take responsibility, the keys to a car that we have. And we live long distance, and we travel back and forth to Dallas to work every day, and praise God, it's Sunday for church and so forth. So it's really important to have a car that uh, you can kind of put into rotation to kind of take the pressure off another car when you live uh, out of town the way we do. Praise God. and. About two to three weeks, that key has been lost to another car that we have at home. And um, I was praying and talking to the Lord. You know, Lord, you, you know all things you see. You can reveal to your people, praise God. And, you know, just show me where that key is. And I had had a dream that the key was in the mud somewhere. So after I had that dream, I was outside looking around, you know, didn't find the key. And um, yesterday, just to cut it short, <laughs> I, was, uh, I had already searched the couch and everything. But I was going to sweep out the couch. The children, I was cleaning up the house. And um, I went around the couch sitting on it and pulling out, you know, everything out of the creases. And um, (laughs) there was a a hole there at the base of the couch I hadn't noticed before. And I put my hand down there and hit a watch that that was there. And I was like, huh. And I reached down again, praise God, and I hit the ring of that keychain. And I was like, I just stopped and looked up and, and just said, oh, God, thank you. <laughs> because I knew it was the key to the car. <laughs> and I pulled it down, and I just praised God, praised God. And I just had to stand up here today Amen. and tell him before his people how great he is. Amen. And even that he cares about the small things, and even as much as a key. Praise Amen. God. But it was going to cost $200 to replace that key. Amen. So I give That's him praise right. on today. Amen. <laughs> praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Yeah, keys, keys today for automobiles are not cheap. When people, I think about when I, I the company I used to work for, uh, it came with one key in that pickup, and it had one of those little computer deals in the key. And I didn't have any idea. I thought, gee, I need another key. So I would run in and cut me a key on our key machine, went out and put it in, and it turned the ignition, it turned the starter, it did everything, but it wouldn't start. And I thought, what is this? So I took the key out and put the one in, had the black head on it, and it just started right up. 
I thought, well, that's strange. So I took it off, put it back, and it doesn't, wouldn't, it turned it on, it opened the door, do everything, but it would not run the car. So I went and called the dealer. I said, what's the deal? He said, there's a computer chip in that key. Uh-huh. A computer chip that only fits that truck. I said, oh, okay. So I said, well, I need one of those. How much are they? He said, they're real cheap, only 135 bucks a piece. Whoa. So you don't lose your key. Don't lose your key. Anybody else got another praise report? Oh, man, we got all kinds of... Come up here. Come up here, Sharon. Tell us what you're going to tell us. Okay. Step up here with me, honey. Step up here. Okay. On May the 20th, we are going to have a bridal shower for Cheryl at the home of Jan Scott at 7 o'clock in the evening. And Jordan, where's little Jordan? He made us some maps so we can all find it. They're over here on the counter. Okay. And uh, Dale Ash will be there to um, anoint and bless everyone at the door. Jan's giving her a beautiful home. I'm going to be there to practice my hospitality and exhortation. And uh, Elaine would like everyone to write something, something special or a poem or, or a scripture. We're going to make a tape for Thurman and Cheryl. And um, I just encourage you to do that because when Jan asked me to write this invitation, it's not something I do personally. I think a golf tournament would be good. (laughs) But she asked me and I said, okay. I said, God, what do you want me to write? And so he told me to write, please join us for a bridal shower on Thursday, May 20th, from 7 to 9 in the evening at the home of Jan Scott on Brookport Drive in celebration of God's choice. Cheryl Anderson, please please RSVP by Monday. We're going to have a wonderful, wonderful time. I'm so excited that she's going to be your wife. Amen. Me too. So excited. Praise the Lord. Can I? I have a testimony. Sure. Anything you want to say, honey? Okay. Well, years ago, I used to be a manicurist, and I became a manicurist after I went through a tragic divorce. I had a couple of businesses, and I got rid of them. And I thought, I'll just do this for a while. And it was quite humiliating. And then I, uh, I got saved. I met Jesus. And I remember sitting there one day, and I was like, okay, Lord, I tell you what. I dedicate my hands unto you. You know, whatever you want, I will do. So for 12 years, I washed people's feet. But I would pray for them, and God would bless their lives. And, and I was thinking about, you know, every time I get an invitation to a shower or a wedding, I start thinking of the, you know, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And I was thinking, you know, I sit there at the table and I would think, you know, I can't wait for this. I mean, what's my dress going to be like? What will my crown be like? You know, will he invite me to sit at the table? You know, the head table, of course. And it was really funny. I was thinking about Cheryl's shower the other day and, and the celebration coming. And, and I started thinking about the wedding supper of the Lamb. And I'm singing praise and worship and I'm making my bed. And it dawns on me, you know, what are people going to be doing in heaven? They're going to be getting ready. It's going to be exciting. They're going to shine everything up. And I, and I was sitting there and I thought, I wonder if they would invite me to wash the Lord's feet. You know, I've come to a place in my life because that's all that matters. Amen. I don't care where I sit. I just, I wash his feet. Amen. Just to be close to him. Just to be near him, yes. Yes. Anywhere. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Amen.
step up here with me, or are you going to stay down there? Down here. Okay. Um, I was wondering if we couldn't have a sheet that we could sign up over here today, an RSVP sheet that we could have over here. We could just sign up for coming. Sure we we can. Yes. That would save a lot of people having to answer their phone or whatever. If we get to okay. Okay. Yeah, we will do that. But, yeah. okay. but I do have a praise report. Okay. <laughs> um, I have a what most people would consider an older vehicle. It's an '86 Trooper, and um, it started leaking oil, which it shouldn't, because my husband rebuilt the engine and all, and has it has new seat. We got the power. We got that turned up a little bit, Dave. They said they can't hear it back there. Hold it close. It should work. Anyway, he had replaced. He had rebuilt the engine and rebuilt the transmission and everything. Not that many miles back. So it was just a shock to see all these puddles of oil, and uh, I certainly didn't want him to have to take all the transmission out <laughs> to re- replace the seals, and. Uh, I asked God to heal my car, <laughs> and uh, he was looking on the internet to see if, if there was any. Re- the only thing different we had done is started using a synthetic oil and expensive synthetic oil. So he looked on the internet and he saw that it makes seals leak. <laughs> it makes the seals leak. Uh, anyway, so. I asked God to heal the car, and he, he poured some something in there that he was recommended on the Internet. And I can't find any leaks at all. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> God can do anything we can believe him for. Yeah, yes. And, you know, anything. Um, he gets, I just want to give him the glory because, I mean, um, like I said, I really, the car is so old. It's an 86. So that makes it 18 years old. So I didn't want him to have to take the transmission out and all everything. That just wouldn't. Yeah. Don't call it old. Call it young. Praise the Lord. 86 is young. 86 is young. Any more testimonies? Got another one back here? Got one back here? Who? Just a minute. One, you just got one. Then we'll get you a day. Dave, what's wrong? We got some. Huh? Hello? Anyway, this man has unleashed a tiger here telling me how to go to the third heaven. When I'm home by myself during the day, I get all trained up and I, I listen to music to get in the mood and I go to my computer and I've got an ongoing list of people that I pray for in the third heaven. And you're all on it, by the way. And, and, and uh, so I've been getting praise reports from my family. I gave one the other day. Hallelujah. But like she said, God cares about little things, too. He cares about my cats. I cast demons out of them. I anoint them. I pray for them. And they are the sweetest things now. They love each other. They love us. They follow us around. But the one I called him my left-footed cat because he had something in his hips. He walked funny. And I've been fasting this month with Hillcrest Church. For, and they want us to pray for for the church, and I'm praying for a lot of things, I got a whole list of them. And um, 
So the other day he had me walk up to my cat and put my hands on his hip. And he told me it was hip dysplasia. I didn't know that word, but God told me that word. And I rebuked that demon of hip dysplasia out of my cat. And after that, he started jumping and leaping like they say the deer. And he leaped from the foot of our bed up over this divider that we've got at the head of our bed and landed in the windowsill. And I couldn't believe he could do that. And now he is shaped just so round and nice and walked, you know. And so then I talked yesterday to my friend in Michigan. I have been praying for her. She, she's almost a man-hater. She's my ex-husband's ex-wife. Now figure that one out. And we became best friends. But she is not saved. I can't get her to go to church. For, so I've been going to the third, third heaven. I almost called it the sermon heaven. <laughs> the third heaven for her. And I talked to her yesterday. And I witnessed to her for two hours about sermon, the things I'm learning. And she listened. I almost got her to go into church. I, I told her about casting demons out. She's got cancer in her back. She's got Lyme disease, and she's got sores all over her from, from so many allergies. She can't even keep track of them. And I said, rebuke it. And I taught her about rebuking. And so she is getting to the point now she believes in it. I told her about my cat. I told her about my grandchildren, my daughters, what's happening to them. And she is on the verge. And I know another trip to heaven is going to do it. Amen. And so I'm just so excited that I am surrounding myself with success stories. Amen. Because of this man right here. <laughs> oh, goodness. Praise the Lord, Juanita. Glory to God. Dave. Oh, hey. Oh, we got a, got a change of battery? Okay. Dave, come up here right quick and I'll let you use my mic. Okay. No, no. Uh, All right. You, you can talk. Okay. okay. Um, before... I took Jesus seriously, and before I knew about his promises, I had some really bad knees. I could tell before it rained, they would hurt. I would almost scream getting out of a chair. And since then, uh, my, my knees have been rebuilt and reformed. And this morning I got up to, to praise the Lord and to read my Bible, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to go outside? We have a dog. When you open up the door, she wants to run out, and then she'll bark in the yard and make all kinds of noise. So I grabbed the chair, and I ran out real quick, hit my knee right on the door facing, cut it open. And I'm out there rebuking the devil, believe me. <laughs> and um, went back in the house, sat down, and um, I remembered um, Thank you. I remembered uh, John 14, 14, and First um, Peter 2, 24. And... By your stripes, I am healed. Immediately, the pain went away. Six months ago, I would have been dragging my leg all over the place and just in so much pain. It's gone. About an hour ago, I checked again. Cut's almost healed, and I'm not going to have a not going to have a single uh, anything on it. It's just going to be Amen. perfect. Amen. And uh, another thing, I've been Lord's been building my faith. I ask and I get, and I ask and I get, and the more that I ask according to my faith, I receive. And I've asked for a big thing. The, the Holy Spirit's put on my heart three little children that are outside of the United States. They need help. They don't need to come live with anybody. But I prayed that the Holy Spirit come down on two people and convict them, talk to them, bring to them open them up to helping these children 
basically it's a dollar a day and write letters of encouragement. They receive everything, including uh, schooling that is Christian, and they teach them the they teach them Jesus. And I've asked for the Holy Spirit to come down on two people, just just two people, and um, to have them um, talk to them, tell them that that's something that they want. And they may not even be in this room right now, but I've got till the end of the month. And I'm just, this is a prelude to a praise report. Amen. Because those two children that are over in Uganda are going to have somebody that will help them. Amen. And I'm praising the Lord in advance because it'll be done. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, let's talk a little bit about the word. I'm gonna. I got just. I got one praise report before I talk about the word. I've got to read to you. This came out of Big Sandy. This may affect some of you, but I stood that day. The consequences or the fruits, I guess I should say, of standing and praying for people for five hours after I'd taught the word an hour, hour and a half. I literally stood up, and I stood up the last five hours, most of it bent over, because the people, were, most of them were so much shorter than me, and especially the women and the children that came up. When they came up, I can't stand like this and look in the face of a woman that's down here. I have to bend down like this to hear her, because she's, especially if they have an intimate problem, they don't want nobody else to hear their problem, and I can understand that. But this little lady was the last one. She stayed there for five hours. She had a problem, and she thought I had the answer. This little lady's testimony is awesome, and this is her email that she wrote to me, and she wrote it to me private, and she wanted to know if what she wrote would be private, and I told her, you'll never have to worry about nobody ever knowing your name. I will never tell your name. But this is such an awesome, awesome report. This little lady walked up to me and she said, Mr. Scrivener, I need to really talk to you privately. I said, okay. So I went over and sat down for the first time all evening. And I sat down in a chair with her and just pulled this little 30-something-year-old lady right up beside me like she was my daughter. I said, tell me what's on your heart, honey. She said, I want you to pray for my husband. I said, what's wrong with him? She said, he's on pornography. I said, uh, how long have you been married? She said, 12 years. I said, do you have any children? She said, two. She said, we had two children the first about three years. And she said, after that, we don't have any. I said, uh, let me ask you something very personal, honey. I said, since your husband's hooked on pornography, are you sleeping with your husband? And she said, no. I said, I thought so. I said, do you know how many times you've been intimate with your husband since your children were born in the last 10 years? She said, yes. I said, how many times? She said, five. Five times she's been to bed with her husband in 10 years. I said, let me ask you another question. When were you sexually abused the first time? She said, when I was three. 
I said, any more times? She said, yes, I was raped when I was 18. I said, now I know what your problem is. I said, every time your husband, which is married to you, tries to advance toward you, you see that man raping you. And she said, that's exactly, and he said, it just terrifies me. I said, see, you generated a soul tie between that first man that raped you and between that man that raped you when you were 18. I said, the first one got half of you and the next one got the other half. I said, so in that trauma that you received, I said, you're seeing a devil every time that you go to bed with your husband, which is legal in the spirit world. There's a devil attacking you to see, let you see those men that raped you so he's putting you in a position where you cannot and will not enjoy a relationship with your husband. I said, now, first thing I want to do, I said, do you know those men's names? She said, yes, I do. I said, I want you to break the soul ties between you and those people. And we're going to reclaim your virginity in Christ. So we broke the soul ties. We reclaimed her virginity in Christ. And I said, now, honey, that we prayed the prayer of faith. How do you feel? She said, wow, I feel clean and pure. I said, that's exactly right. She said, what do I need to do? I said, you need to go home. And you need to crawl in bed with your husband. She said, I will do it. And this is a report. God bless you today, Mr. Scrivener. I was the one you spoke with about intimacy in my marriage. For ten years, I have been tormented by things that happened to me as a child and a teenager. I want you to know that Thursday after we spoke and you prayed for me and we broke the soul ties that I have never felt such freedom in my heart. The fear that have completely left me. I could not get home quick enough. I put my little daughters to bed. And I woke up my husband and began to confess and repent for withholding myself from him. I know you deal with many people and their hurts. And bless you for standing and speaking with so many. But I pray that you hold my praise report as most special. First, Mr. Scrivener, I so love you for loving me. Thank you for scooping me up in your arms and treating me as if I was your very own daughter. God set me free. I came home, I crawled in that bed with my husband, and I loved him. And what was sweet, what was awesome for me, is that I did not enter into that marriage bed out of duty, or as if it was just a job, but I had joy. I had joy, joy, joy. My husband wept. We both confessed our anger. We both asked for forgiveness. And my husband prayed over me and my body. I have never felt such love. He has always known I have wanted God to give us another child. And when I told him that you had confirmed what I already knew about how God could heal and put back what was taken, my husband laid his hands upon my womb and prayed and blessed it. And he asked God to heal me and bless us with a baby. For three years I have, I'm not, for three days I have hugged him and kissed him and held his hands and held hands with him and I have loved him 
and all with an unspeakable joy. And I know God will meet our greatest request to give us another child. Thank you for your time. And I thank you for giving your life to the Lord. Thank you for allowing God to work through your, you all my love. You want to know why I do what I do? That's why I do what I do. There's no greater blessings. How many people do I know, especially women, that have been raped or sexually abused that have never dealt with it? If you have been raped or sexually abused, or if you've had an abortion and you've never dealt with it, you've still got that in you. And that must be dealt with for you to ever get set free. One of the things that people never seem to learn, that every time you have a sexual relationship with someone, you create a soul tie. And you don't have to have a sexual relationship to generate a soul tie. You can touch somebody and generate a soul tie. But you only want to be around people that are godly people. People, men and women that are on fire for Jesus. Because those kind of soul ties are good soul ties. Those are things that you generate that will bring forth part of the eternal, magnificent, wonderful life, the abundant life that our King came to give us. But if you hang around people of the world, you will create and generate soul ties that will be binding and you will become like them unless you're a very, very powerful Christian person. You just don't want to be around people that are, I mean, not to, not to be around them to eat with them, to do all those kind of things. It's okay to go out and minister to people and talk to people about Jesus, but you don't want to take part with those kind of people. You will become like those people. So don't take part with people on a day-by-day basis. Invite them in your home and, and be with them if they are not born-again Christians. If they're not born-again Christians, you need to most definitely learn how to do your spiritual warfare praying. Because just like Juanita said a while ago, when you learn how to make that trip to the third heaven, where the Lord clearly told you in Hebrews 4.16 that you can come into the throne of grace, bold as a lion, anytime you want to, when you can come into that throne room of grace knowing that you're not coming in there begging and persuading God to do something He's reluctant to do, but you're His son, you're His daughter. He wants to answer your prayer. But He is a faith God, and you must come into that throne room in purity and holiness with your sins confessed. Because if you go into the throne of grace with your sins not confessed, I can assure you, the adversary, which is Lucifer, the devil, he will break your case according to the law book, and you will not be able to get your prayers answered. And that's the only thing that holds us back of getting our prayers answered. All of God's promises are yes and amen. Every time, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, all of God's promises belong to you. And whenever you start studying the Word of God, and you begin to realize that, hey, there's something wrong with this picture. Here we are in the church. We're supposed to be the children of the living God. And most of us have been in a church that's never seen God do an answer to a prayer. We've never seen Him do a miracle, but yet He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, according to Hebrews 10.38. So if He is, there's got to be something wrong with this picture. And the problem with the picture is us. It's not God, because He never changes. So when you start believing God, 
and repenting like this. I've had, I don't know how many people have had called me, and, and even from Big Sandy, and for sure when I was on GLC the other day for two hours live out there, they've replayed that show. I don't have any idea how many times. But many people have called back, called me, and, I, and some of them have called me and talked to me. They've been 60, 70, and 80 years old. And they said, Thurman, I have been in church all of my life, and I've never heard a preacher in my life associate sin and sickness together. Never. But she said, after you talked, I went back to my Bible and checked it. And she said, now I'm seeing it all over the place. She said, it's like you opened, or several of them said, you opened the door to me that sin and sickness go hand in hand. Well, what do we, what do we not understand in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant where the Lord said, if you will be obedient and do everything I tell you to do, if you will not sin, he said, then I will take all sickness and disease away from you and you will have none. But every time Israel sinned, the devil come upon them and sickness and disease began to come upon them until they repented and covered their sins in the blood and turned back from their wicked ways. They were sick and afflicted. I mean, it's, it's really quite easy to see when you really begin to sit down and look, and then when you begin to get a hold of this, then you understand that every time somebody gets upset with somebody, or you get, just like the Lord said in His Word, He said there in Ephesians, don't go to bed angry lest you give place to the devil. You know, we read that, but it don't mean anything to us. If you give place to the devil and he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, and you give place to him, what's he going to do? Steal, kill, and to destroy. So if he has legal right to do that, if you sin today as a Christian, now this, this, is, this is what's... I, I, re, I don't know how many times I read this over there in Galatians, but I read in Galatians many times where Paul said, he began to talk about us falling from grace. He said, when you fall from grace, you transgress the law. And I thought, fall from grace? That mean I'm not saved anymore? That, does that mean I'm lost? I mean, I couldn't understand. And I asked doctors of theology and everything else, and nobody could give me an answer. I finally got the revelation of what that meant. Whenever a thought comes to my mind, if I entertain that thought, let's say, for instance, Jesus clearly told me, He said, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Covenant, if I walk up here and kill Dave, I'm guilty of murder. In the Old Testament, if I think about killing him, he does something and I get mad at him, I think about killing him, but I don't actually commit the act, I'm not guilty. But Jesus said in the New Testament, if I think about killing him, I'm guilty. Jesus said in the New Testament, if I, in the Old Testament, he said, if I commit adultery with a woman, I'm guilty and I'm to be stoned until death. But in the New Testament, he said, if I look at her and lust after her in my heart, I'm guilty as if I committed the act. I don't have to actually touch her. I can be guilty of adultery and never touch a woman under the new law, under the law of commandment of love. The requirements under grace are much, much more stringent than they are under the old covenant. So that's why we have to be so careful to stay on this plane of faith. To stay up there, you have to love one another. And if you love one another, you never think about murdering somebody, you never think about committing adultery, you never think about those sins. But if the enemy puts a thought in your mind when Paul says, you fall from grace and you transgress the law, if you meditate on the thought, let's say that the enemy comes to you in your workplace 
and you handle a lot of money and somebody gives you $50 more than they should have and nobody ever knew it, and you say, well, my cash register, will, it'll, it'll balance out. I can take that $50 and put that in my pocket. Nobody will ever know the difference. The devil's sitting there saying, go ahead and do that. Go right ahead. Nobody will know. I mean, he's really working on you. But the minute you decide in your heart, I'm going to take it. At that instant, when you decided to take it, you fell from grace. You transgressed the law, and the devil has legal right to run. Now, what's he going to do? Who knows? He comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So you put that $50 in your pocket, you walk out the door. If you're tuned in to the Holy Ghost at all, if you're anywhere close to God, Something in your heart's going to say before you get out. Yep. Don't, do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It'll touch your heart. But now then, if the Holy Ghost is working on you and you're living so far out there, the only thing you're listening to, you go home every night and you sit down and watch the news. You go home and sit down and watch some of these killing, murdering movies that you see today. and Or you go out and play golf every day and you don't never read the Bible. You don't never sit down and talk to God. I'm going to tell you, God's a long ways from where you are. So he's over there saying, Thurman, don't do that. But I don't hear him. Because I'm out there in the middle of the street. I've not drawn near to God. So it's real easy for me to take the $50 and put it in my pocket. And I think, well, nobody will ever know. I mean, you know, that person will never realize they made that mistake. And my cash drawer balanced. So I got the 50 bucks. So I just made $50. You walk outside and you get in your car and you start home, and you got a 2002 Chevrolet that's got a three-year, 36,000-mile warranty on it, and you got uh, 40,000 miles on it, and before you get home, you run into somebody and do a $500 worth of damage to the fender. You think, why me? There was no accident. You opened the door to the devil. You, he had legal claim to do that to you. Just like I was talking with some people earlier, I said, you know, it's amazing the men that struggle to get somewhere to do something. And I just had a couple just talk to me just recently. Said, my husband and I, we love God. Everything went right. We had money. We had everything. And then all of a sudden, we come to Jesus. Now, I hear this kind of stories all the time on a regular basis. I've heard it, no telling how many hundreds of times. We were really affluent, doing good. And then my husband and I, or maybe I was a Christian or he was a Christian or whatever, but let's say the woman's a Christian the man wasn't, and he's the one making the money and he's doing good and everything's just money's just coming in. And then all of a sudden we decide to really start doing something for God. My husband gets saved and we start going to church and everything and our whole world falls apart. Yeah. You know what the husband didn't do? The husband didn't realize he was a, a member of the seed group of the Abraham, Abrahamic Covenant. And he didn't realize to make the Abrahamic covenant, which he just stepped into, work for him, it has requirements. Now, under the devil's world, under the devil's world, you could be blessed. The devil will not. He's no problem. He'll let you be blessed. You may be 40, 50 years old. And money's coming in, and you're doing good. You're serving the devil. He loves it. You may be making tens of thousands of dollars, and everything's going good. But if you don't come into God's kingdom, when you get about 50 or 55 or something, the devil says, okay, it's time for me now to take that person captive at my will. And he puts sickness on you, cancer, and you die at 55 years old. And everybody said, gee, didn't he die young? Just look at it. A fluent man. Look at all the stuff he had. That happens all the time. 
But somebody said, well, why did it so change when he got saved? I said, well, number one, he might have started going to church, but he didn't renew his mind daily with the Word. He didn't learn he was a member of the Abrahamic seed group and that the Abrahamic covenant belonged to him. And for the Abrahamic covenant to work, you've got to go back all the way to Genesis and you look over there in Genesis that Abraham, even 400 years before the law was given, Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, the man of God. Now, Abraham knew the reaping and sowing principle. Abraham was a man, a farmer, and he saw that any time he planted seed in the ground, if he planted seed sparingly in the ground, he reaped a very small harvest. But if he planted a lot of seed in the ground, he, plant, he received an abundant harvest. So he thought, God, you said seed time and harvest will never pass. Sowing and reaping will never pass. So when I sow a little bit, I just get a little bit. When I sow a whole lot, I get a whole lot. So, Lord, if you can make principles work in nature, then you can make these principles work in my finances. And so Abraham started tithing. Hundreds of years before the law was given, he just started tithing. And then he didn't stop right there. With this Abrahamic covenant that was given to him, as he began to tithe, then he started giving over and above. He realized that if you plant... 10% of a row full of seed, if you put that 10% in there and then put another 5% in there, he got a much greater harvest. And that's the principles of which God works on. Well, the people that I've seen when they come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and their whole business world falls apart, if they had have known what I know about the Abrahamic covenant, the very minute they came from the devil's world into God's world, the first thing they'd have done was run down to the church or the ministry or wherever they're serving and said, I want to start giving at least 10% of everything I make to this ministry, and then I want to just throw another 5% in for good measure. And then they start saying, God, I want to thank you for the privilege to give into your kingdom, into your ministries to serve, and I want to thank you and praise you because you're the one that gives me the power to get wealth. Now, Lord, what I'm going to give, I know you're going to give it to me so I can further your kingdom on the earth. Now, see, don't give it to you to fatten your own self. He don't give it to you to fatten your pocketbook so you can go out there and do nothing, so you can go home and sleep and sit down, and so you can have a lot of money and you can drive three or four brand new $50,000 or $100,000 cars and say, look, I'm somebody. If you've got enough money, he'll let you do that. But when he starts blessing you, he expects you to start giving more. He expects you to start giving to other ministries. If you're giving to one ministry, and that ministry is a ministry that's, you, that's being used mightily for the kingdom of God, he said, sow into good soil. So you need to be careful where you sow your money. If you're sowing into a ministry that's not getting nobody saved, healed, or delivered, you need to move your money somewhere else. But there's a lot of good ministries out here today. God's working all over the place. Lots of wonderful ministries. So if the man knew that, and whenever that money come in, whatever he had, the minute he got saved, and he said, okay, Lord, I now realize I'm under a covenant. You've given me a great covenant, but the covenant has to be... I have to do things for the covenant to work. God said what He'd do if I would do something. So, Lord, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give you the first 10%. When I learned those principles, my wife and I were a young married couple, and I was working two jobs, and she was working one, and we could not make it from payday to payday. Now, I was a man of God, a son of God, with all I knew about Jesus, 
But I could not and did not tithe. And I never had enough money to last some payday to payday. It just couldn't, would not, never work out. And then I went to church one day and remembered the first time in my life at about 22 years old, somewhere along in there, for the first time in my life I remember hearing a preacher preach on tithing. And that day I had put a dollar bill in the offering plate when it was passed. You know, now I was making, that's a long time ago, and I was making $40 a week. So for me to give a dollar, you know, that's only a, a fourth of what I should have been giving. I should have been putting a minimum of four and another one or two in there to sow over so I could have been blessed abundantly. But I didn't know these principles. So anyway, this man that day, when I put my dollar in the plate, they passed the plate first in that little Baptist church and took up the offering. I put my dollar in, he went by. And then he started talking. He said, there's some people here that will come and receive Christ as Lord and Savior and receive the benefits of the kingdom of God. And when the offering place passed, he said, they'll put a dollar bill in the offering plate. And when I looked up, guess where that finger was pointing? Right at me. I mean, there was nobody else in that church. That finger was pointing right. I looked at when he said that dollar. I thought, I, I, I want to sink. I said, he saw me. No, he didn't see me, but guess who did see me? The Lord saw me, and guess who's going to make my money either abound or it's not going to do nothing? It's God. That's right. He's the one that holds the purse strings, not that preacher. God is the one that does it. I went home that day and told my wife, I said, honey, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we've got to start giving $4 a week at least. She said, honey, we can't make it now. I said, I know we can't, but I know I read that scripture with that man today. And then somebody, you know, will say, but now Thurman, that's under the old covenant. Yes. I realize Malachi 3 is definitely the last book in the Old Covenant. But that covenant was made to Abraham. And the New Testament says, when I get saved, I become a member of the Abrahamic covenant. And that's in the New Testament. And that's hard to mess up. And then if you want to go to Matthew 23, 23, Jesus himself said, you have tithed in all these other things, but you've not done it. You should have not without doing the first one. What Jesus was telling them in Matthew 23, 23, you're supposed to tithe. So, if people say, how much am I supposed to tithe? Am I supposed to tithe off of the gross or the net? I said, how do you want to be blessed? Off of the gross or the net? My wife and I learned those principles at a very, very young age. And when I started tithing, I went from no money, broke, I went to giving 4 or $5 a week, and then I started saying, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I mean, I was not a man of faith back in those days. I mean, I was a young man in my 20s trying to figure how I was going to make it. I had no knowledge of the principle I know today. My knowledge of the Word of God today is so far ahead of what I was when I was 20 years old. It is absolutely awesome, and I'm grateful to the Lord. But even in what I knew, I began to give what I knew was mine. It was supposed to be God's. And as I gave that to the Lord, He began to bless my wife and I and bless us abundantly. And over the years, as my income grew, I continued to give God more and more and more and more of my income. And that's how I was able to build and everything what I have today. That's how I was able to take the money. I can think of the times over the years that I put money in investments and they paid such great dividends and rewards became so great in the financial world that that's how what, after my wife and daughter were killed in that car wreck, I had all this money. What am I going to do with this stuff? I mean, if you ain't got somebody to share it with, it's just a piece of paper. 
A home gets awful lonely if there ain't nobody there but you. But here I've got money, you know, in the bank. Money and investments. Ain't got nobody to spend it on. I just told my wife, I said, honey, this year I'm going to buy you a brand new car. And then she gets killed in that car wreck. So after she gets killed in that car wreck with my daughter, after I kind of recovered just a little bit from that devastating thing, I tell my son, I said, son, you're all I got left besides Caitlin now. I said, I promised to buy Mama a new car. I said, son, I'm going to buy you one. I said, you've been a good boy. You've done what I asked you to do, everything. I said, Daddy has invested money all these years. I've tithed and I've given away and above the tithe, and God has blessed me abundantly, and I'm not going to wait till I die to give it to you. I said, I want you to go down and pick out the car you want, whatever you want, and I'm going to buy it for you and pay it for you and give it to you. Well, that's what I did. He went down, found exactly what he wanted. I went down, bought it for him, and paid for it. And then he comes home and tells me, he said, Dad, the Lord spoke to me this morning in the car and told me we're to build a, bi- a physical fitness center. I said, he did? He said, yes. He said, Dad, I've never had an experience like this with God. He said, I know you've told me often that the Lord, ha- the Lord has spoken to you. But he said, I've never heard that voice till this morning. But he said, Dad, and he was a basket case that morning too. I mean, the God that we serve, he got his attention. Really got his attention. And so I said, okay. I said, then we'll find a piece of land, we'll build us a building, and we'll build you a physical fitness center. So that's what we did. So from being an obedient child of the king to do what the Lord says, to tithe. And, of course, as I was raised up in a Baptist church uh, for a while, many years, I worked as an usher. I was on the counting committee. I did all kinds of things. And I saw men that would give checks, $10, $20, $50, and they were living in quarter-million-dollar houses and driving uh, BMWs. And they never give over 40 or 50 bucks to the church. And then when something devastating would happen, I remember one time one of those men, I remember counting money on the counting committee serving as a deacon. And then one day this man, his whole world fell apart. And this man came to the church. Praise God for a wise pastor in that church. He came and met with us deacons and said, you know, the church needs to help take care of me. Now, my bills are about $3,000 a month. Now, this was about 15 or 18, 20 years ago. He said, my bills are about $3,000 a month. My whole world fell apart. Until I get back on my feet, I need you all to help me with $3,000 a month until I get back on my feet. He left, and the pastor told him, he said, now, man, I want to tell you something. This man got here, there's something wrong with this. And he said, I don't feel it's a church's responsibility to pay his bills. And he said, but I'm going to leave that up to y'all. But he said, I think this man's undergoing something that he's been disobedient to God. Because he said, all of you that have been obedient and tithed, and he said, I'm going to tell you, this man is not a tither. He said, I went and checked his records this morning before I come here to this meeting, and this man is definitely not a tither. He gives very little money to this church. So he said, I believe the man's going through something because he's been disobedient. Well, all along the line, I've learned these principles. Well, let me tell you, I can speak out of knowledge and wisdom that since I was 23 or 4 years old, I have tithed. And I'm going to tell you that I have never been in a time since that time when I didn't have enough money to pay my bill. There's been times when I didn't have a whole lot, but I have never been short. But when I take the overall picture over the last 30 years, when I think about the tithing and the giving of my time and myself and my income to the Lord, 
That's how in my later life I come to a point now that I don't know anybody anything. I mean, my world is paid off. I mean, my land's paid off. My home's paid off. Everything I have is paid off. And I don't have any bills. And that's a wonderful place to live. Now, then, if you're a person, a man or a woman, and you've been buying things compulsively, and you've got credit cards that are 15, 20, and 30% interest, let me tell you, you need to start paying off those credit cards and get rid of and stop buying things. You do not realize that when you take a credit card that you owe $5,000 on and you're paying 25% on it and you're paying $125 or $150 a month on that credit card, you ain't never going to live long enough to get that bill paid off. Amen. You'll pay that thing out over and over and over and over and you'll never get out of debt. The thing to do is, first of all, repent and ask God to forgive you for your stupidity. That's the first thing you need to do. The next thing you need to do, you need to take the biggest credit card you got with the highest interest rate on it and start paying that thing off. Get it paid off. The biggest one, the highest interest, get it paid off. And then take the next highest interest one and get it paid off. And then cut up that cotton-picking credit card and throw it away. And if you can't find your credit card for under 10% interest, you're not living where you need to be living. I got a new credit card still yesterday. They said, Mr. Scrivener, your credit is excellent. We're willing to let you have a credit card for one year, and whatever you want to put on it, even transfer counts from your other credit cards to this one for 0% interest for one year. You've got to have credit to get a deal like that. You know how much money I owe on a credit card? Zero. You know how much money I spent on a credit card last month? No. $8,900. I bought a lot of equipment for the ministry last month. They, won't, they didn't take cash. They didn't want to check because they're somewhere else. And I had to buy it and give them a credit card number over the phone or over the Internet. So by doing that, all the stuff I bought, I have to have a credit card. I spent a little less than $10,000 last month for equipment for the ministry. And I did it all on a credit card. But when the bill came in the other day, guess what I did? Wrote a check. Whole thing. Absolutely 100%. They said, minimum payment for this month will be 150 bucks. I said, you've got to be kidding me. On $8,900, $150 a month, that won't even pay the finance charge. So next month, it'll be an $8,900. It'll be $9,300. And I'm paying $150 a month. I said, forget it. I wrote them a check for $8,900, put it in the mail, mailed it the next day. If you don't have the money in the bank, don't spend that kind of money. You know, don't spend it. If you know you ain't got it, don't spend it hoping. Somebody said, Thurman, if you will make, if you'll just step out and buy some equipment, God will meet your needs. I said, yeah, but I'm a little smarter than that. I said, I don't go there. I'm not that kind of a faith man. I said, if God wants me to buy $10,000 worth of equipment, He's going to send somebody to give me $10,000 and I'm going to put it in the bank. When it's in the bank and the check's cleared, then I'm going to order the $10,000 worth of equipment. And then I'll have to sweat it. And that's the way I've run my life all the time. I am not within faith people that tell you, Come up here and give me $50 and God will give you 5000 That's not me. I don't do that. I don't do that at all. But I will tell you that wherever you give your money, if you give it, but if you are a Christian and you're not giving God 10%, at least a minimum of 10% of your income, you are not being blessed for God will bless you if you will do that. Because He's the one that holds the purse strings. Now, I don't teach many messages on tithing. But today, I just felt led it's time that people realize that 
You need to stop being an impulsive buyer. It's real easy to be an impulsive buyer. Run down and say, gee, look at that. You see this beautiful lady right here? You see this beautiful dress she's got on? If you're beautiful like she is and you look at this beautiful dress and it's there in Neiman's house, you've you got to have that. You've got to have that, right? Does it make any difference if you've already got two or three, four thousand dollars charged over there? It don't right then. I just got to have it. I'm just using my wife for an example. My wife to be, but technically she's my wife. I hope I know she don't mind this. But I'm just telling you, this is what happens. What people do. We walk in. Now then, if I've got a lot of money and I want to send my wife over to Neiman's and I want to give her a whole lot of money and say, go over there, honey, and here is X number of dollars. Spend it anywhere you want to. And I give her the money in her hand and say, go have a payday. Hey, she can go over and have a heyday. She can go and buy all kinds of beautiful things. And then she wears them for me and she looks beautiful. And I don't have a problem with that. You know, but if you don't have the money to give her, don't tell her to go over and put it on your charge card. Because next month the payment's going to come due. And then the payments with the interest is going to kill you. I did not realize how many people that are out there that have debts that are 30% interest. You know you won't never get a debt paid off at 30% interest. Never. You, the minimum payment don't even meet the finance charge. And every month of that gets bigger. Don't do that. Don't do that. Learn to do without. Learn to do without. Don't give your money to the financial systems of the world. Give them to God. Be obedient to the Word. And as you give to God's kingdom, and as you give at least a tithe to some ministry somewhere, God's work, doesn't matter where it is, but give it into His kingdom, and then sow some other seeds of blessings into people's life. When people walk up to you, and they say, you know, I have a need. I mean, like the other day. I pulled up down here. I had two beautiful ladies I'd picked up for a healing school. They'd come from Oklahoma. And I picked them up at the train station. I drove them over here. I was getting ready to let them out at the hotel. They were going to check in. And some guy walked up to the window. And he tapped on the window. And I was talking to these two ladies in my car. And I turned around. And I looked. And I rolled the window down. And I said, can I help you, sir? He said, sir, I'm out of a job. And he said, I, I, just, I got to have, can you give me a dollar? Just a dollar so I can have a hamburger. Well, you can get, you can get a Whataburger down right down the street for a dollar. I said, sure, no problem. So I reached in my billfold and opened up and I handed him a $10 bill instead of a $1 bill. When I handed him that $10 bill, I handed that to the least of these, my brother. I said, here, sir, go send it however you want to. Now then, technically speaking, when I give that $10 bill to that man, I didn't give it to that man, I give it to God. I give it because I love, and the Lord clearly says, if you give it unto the least of these, my brethren, you give it unto me. And he said, I return, when you give to the poor and the needy, I return with very good interest. Now, I don't know about you, but I learned this principle works. I've learned the more money I give away, the more money comes back to me. I don't know how God can make a 
a thing like a piece of paper multiply like that. But he can make seed multiply. I can see that in a garden. But over the years as I've learned these principles, I've learned that this is what's wrong with the church. And when I find out that the church, anybody comes to me and says, we have a tremendous financial need. My first problem is, are you tithing? And some of them will say yes. I said, okay, if you're tithing, then are you giving above and beyond the tithe to the poor and the needy or to some other organization that's charitable? And usually they'll say no, and about, only about 15 to 20 percent say they're tithing. But does everybody know what a tithe is? That's one-tenth. That's ten cents off of every dollar. I mean, I see, people say, well, I tithed last week. I said, well, how much did you give? Well, I gave five dollars. How much did you make? I made five hundred. Something don't compute here. I'm glad they're not doing my finances for me. You know, so if they think that 10% of 500 is 5, uh, I believe they left a zero off out there, don't you? And so you want to know why they're not blessed? I can tell you why they're not blessed. Now, the people say, well, I'll tithe for three weeks and see how it works. Forget it. It ain't going to work for you. Tithing, you don't tithe one week and then two weeks and then three weeks and say, God didn't do nothing. Let me tell you, when I go out there in the field as a farmer, when I go out there and sow the seed, I don't go out there tomorrow and dig it up to see if it's growing. I know it's going to grow. It's going to grow because I planted it in the ground. And I know it's going to grow when the rain comes on it. So I know in a few days after the rain, first thing you don't look out there and that whole field is going to be a little bitty tiny short piece of the green shoots all over the place. But they still are not useful. You can't do nothing with them. But they're growing. But one day, a few months later, there's the big tall grain. It turns the right color. And you get a bountiful harvest. That's the same way it works in the financial world. If you want to be blessed, you've got to do it God's way. You've got to give. Just think, what does Luke 6.38 say? Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, running over shell. God give into your bosom? Oh, it didn't say that, did it? Who will give into your bosom? Man. Man will give into your bosom. For with the same measure you use to give, shall it be returned unto you. If you give sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you give bountifully, you shall reap bountifully. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Somebody says, I don't believe that. Okay, just don't give and you'll find out, sure enough, exactly the way you believe. That's exactly the way it'll work. It works both ways, good or bad. So if you want to be blessed in the financial world, and it seems to be that everybody wants to be, and like I said, I don't teach many messages on tithing. But today I just felt led to talk about tithing. Because the greatest miracle of healing I ever heard about in my life was because when a woman tithed, or actually she didn't tithe. I'll tell you the story. This happened in 1952. A woman took a little tiny four-year-old boy to a man of God down in Alabama. And this is what was wrong with the little boy. He had no eyes. He had no ears. His arms were all locked. His tongue was hung outside of his mouth. His legs were twisted and locked up in his uh, stomach. He had 26 incurable diseases. And the doctor said the boy could not live a year when he left the hospital. But the boy lived to be four years old. Now, think about this little guy. What do you think? Can you even envision the story I just told you what that little guy looked like? But for a woman 
to take that boy to where a preacher's preaching, she'd heard something about that preacher that was not normal. You don't take a boy like that to another state to where a preacher's preaching unless you've heard miracles happen where that guy's at. And she heard miracles happen. So she took that little boy down there. She said in that service, now some of you come here and say, well, I came here twice and I listened to you teach an hour and a half two times and I didn't get nothing so I ain't coming back. But this woman said in the service in the morning, the service in the afternoon, every day for six days and didn't get nothing. But that sixth day, she came up and told the man of God there, she said, I don't know why God hasn't heard my prayer. She said, I have a four-year-old son that has 26 incurable diseases. He has no eyes, no ears. His tongue is hung outside of his mouth. His arms are locked up here, and his legs are all twisted and locked up in his stomach. And said, the doctors told me he wouldn't live a year, but said he's four years old now. And said, I have brought him down here hoping God would hear my prayer and answer my baby. She said, I have $20 left of my name. My car is out of gas, and I live in another state, and tomorrow I've got to go back home. So when the man of God got up to preach that afternoon, he said, before I preach today, I want you to give God an offering, and don't give Him an offering. Give Him a sacrifice. He said, you're not giving it to me. You're giving it to Him. So this woman took out of her purse that $20 bill. And when the buckets were passed, this man that she had told this to, he said, I saw that woman drop that last $20 bill in that bucket. Now, that woman's got a handicapped four-year-old son that's in terrible shape. She's got a car that's out of gas, and she's got to drive to another state, and she don't have a penny left to her name. Is that faith? Is that faith? How many of you got that kind of faith? There ain't many of you, I'll say that. We don't have that kind of faith. But this woman put her last $20 bill in that bucket. And the man of God got up there to preach. And he was preaching. And all of a sudden, visions and revelations, which are not very often in my ministry, but they have happened a few times, he began to see a vision right there before the congregation of 4,000 people. He looked out there and he says, The Lord's showing me a vision. He said, I see a white building. He said, It's a hospital. He said, It's a maternity ward. He said, there's a little boy being born in there right now. And said, that boy's got 10, 14, 26 incurable diseases. He said, I see that mother being told by the doctor that baby can't live a year. I see that mother taking that baby home. And I see that woman in another state. And that boy is four years old. And I see that woman getting in a car with another woman and said, you're, wait, woman, you're in this congregation today. Where are you? said, where are you, woman? Bring that baby down here. And that woman got up way back yonder, and she carried that little four-year-old boy down there, and she handed him up into that man of God's arms. And he said, everybody close your eyes. I'm going to pray for this baby. That man held that little four-year-old up to God just like this and said, God, in the name of Jesus, heal this child. The very first thing happened was a little boy's tongue went back in his mouth. The next thing happened was eyes instantly formed on his head, perfectly beautiful eyes. The next thing happened, two ears grew right out. The next thing happened, his arms came loose. His legs came loose. And a little boy that never spoken or saw or nothing jumped out of his mother's arms, jumped down on the platform, and ran over to the edge and jumped into the arms of a woman he had never heard or saw and said, Mother. And then right after that, this is a financial miracle caused this to happen. It's on record. And right after that, 
They said everybody's head turned over here, and there was 13 wheelchair people sitting right there, and all 13 of them jumped up and could walk and run instantly. Then he said, your eyes come over here, and there's 15 stretcher cases over here. And all 15 of them on their deathbeds jumped and began to jump and praise and worship the king. said, in the next hour, in that congregation of 4,000 people, not a word was said except screams of worship and praise as garters fell off of people's neck. Tumors fell out from under women's dresses on the floor. Cancers were thrown up out of their mouths. And that day, before that day was over, every human being in that congregation of 4,000 people was completely healed and then everybody began to come by and walk up to the front. And before it was all over, that woman had an armload of money, which two or three hundred dollars she had. And she had a little boy completely healed. And she took a little boy completely healed. All because she moved the hand of the king with her last twenty dollar sacrifice. Now let me tell you, you can't buy God. But that woman gave a sacrifice having no idea what God was going to do. But I tell you, when I heard that miracle, and I know the man, and I've talked to him personally that was there the day that saw that happen. I know that man. I don't know that preacher because that preacher's dead. But I know the man, one of the men that was there that day that was a singer, right on that platform. I know him personally. I've talked to him. I know him. And he's told me that story personally. And he said, I'm telling you, Thurman, I've done everything in my life since I've been in evangelism. I've done everything. I've sang the same songs. I've done everything. And ain't never seen God do nothing like that ever again. But that day, that little woman that gave her sacrifice to her king, she gave her last $20 bill to move the hands of the king. And it moved it. And it didn't just heal her son. It healed everybody in that building today. Now, let me tell you, you think God knows what we're doing when we give money? I'm telling you, He knows every penny I give and where it goes. He knows every penny. And not only that, every time I sit down to write a check off this ministry to send to whoever I send it to, and I send money to many ministries, because I tithe off of this. I don't tithe. I give far and above a tithe off of this ministry. But as I give that money, I say, Lord, I'm grateful for the privilege to have this money to give into your kingdom, to further your kingdom on this earth. Why did he say he gave me this money? To further his kingdom on the earth. Deuteronomy 8.18. He gives us the money to further His kingdom. Now, what if you don't know the principles of the kingdom? And what if you're not a tither? Then these principles will not work for you. They will not work for you. God is the one that holds the purse strings. He holds them. If you don't know the principles of the kingdom, and you don't claim them by faith, just like in Galatians 3, 13, 14, and 15, it says in verse 15 that we, Christ has redeemed us from the curse, that we might be redeemed from that curse so that we might receive the promises of Abraham, the promises of the Spirit by faith. Well, the average person is just like I was most of my life. You have no idea what the promises of Abraham were. If you don't know what the promises of Abraham were, you cannot receive something by faith that you don't even know what it is. So when you begin to read this book in detail, and you begin to understand, just like healing, I don't know how many years I served as a Christian in church, as a deacon, as a Sunday school teacher, and scriptures like Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, Matthew 8, 16 and 17, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 24, all those scriptures about healing, I had no idea that Jesus bore my sickness and removed my disease on the cross. 
But when I got a hold of the fact that Jesus bore my sickness and removed my disease on the cross, then I could claim by faith what was mine and I could walk in divine health. Or I had no idea that He was a faith God. And then when I asked for something, I had to ask for it in faith after my sins were confessed. And when you learn that principle and you repent of your sins and you claim the promises of God by faith, then the, uh, the awesome power of God flows upon you and you get healed. You're easy for you to say amen to that, wasn't it, Sharon? You know, I think about that lovely, beautiful lady standing right there when she sat, looked at her. Just as I said that, she said, Amen. See, she had been sick for 30 years. 30 years. She had a whiplash and an evil spirit entered her body. She had been tormented by the demons of hell, not knowing what they were. She had been going to a good church. She had been prayed over. At least, she told me herself, she said, Thurman, I've been prayed over by at least a hundred people and nothing's ever happened. I said, honey, one thing, you never, you never expected God to do what He said He would do, and nobody ever prayed for you in faith. So that day when we rebuked the enemy that had come against her, now you've got to remember, 30 years she'd been in that pain. 23 years she'd been to a chiropractor one to five times a week. For 23 years. Had no idea what it was like to be without pain for 30 years. Came to a healing school, one. It only took one for her. One four or five hour teaching and she received the Word of God, the engrafted Word of God, learned what was hers, repented of her sins. I laid hands on her, rebuked the problem and touched her in the name of Jesus and the King of the universe instantly healed that beautiful girl. And being free of pain is a whole lot better, isn't it, Sharon? Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But see, to make all these things work for you, the, the financial world is no different than the healing world. The promises are all there, but you have to meet all the criteria for the healing to flow through you, just like this beautiful little lady. Now, she had asked God and begged God and been prayed for by a hundred people and nothing happened. People say, well, God doesn't love me. Yes, He does. He loves you, but He has a criteria that you must meet for your healing. When you meet that criteria, you get healed. Of course, now, Sharon is just one of multitudes that we've seen that's happened to. Many of those things have happened here in this little ministry that we've got here. But when you repent and you believe God with no doubt in your heart, and then somebody touches you in faith, you get healed. Now, what if I didn't believe quite? What if I just said, well, I'm going to believe partly? Well, it don't work. And this is, this is something that really gets people. Now, this, this is difficult. I'm going to tell you this is even difficult for me to tell you, but I'm going to tell you why so many people don't get their healing. I've had people come to me and say, Thurman, I know the Word of God is true. I know it's true. I've read those verses. I've listened to your tape for 150 hours. And I still can't get my healing. What is my problem? I said, are you still taking medicine? Oh, yeah. My goodness, the doctor told me to take that medicine. Oh, I said, you're still going to the doctor? Oh, yeah, I go every three days. When God says, if you must ask Him to do this with nothing wavering, there's something wrong here. If you ask Him and believe He was going to do it, and you're still taking medicine and still going to the doctor, you're wavering. Now, then people say, but I'm not there, Thurman. I don't have that kind of faith. Okay, then at least if you're going to do that, if you're going to take the medicine, 
at least find you a scripture and say, Lord, help my unbelief. And Lord, let me take this medicine in the name of Jesus so it'll work a little better than it would without the name of Jesus. Who knows how long it'll take, but you can get healed like that. You can get healed like that. But the best way to do it is God's way. But you know what it takes for a Christian to hear these promises and say, they just told me that I'm going to die in a week if I get off this medication. I've been on this medication for ten years. You know where I'm coming from, don't you, Sheriff? You're laughing there. Is it difficult? It's difficult. If I get off a medication and I'm going to just trust God to heal me, well, let me tell you, if you do that now, you better really know in your heart what you're doing. Don't just say, well, I'm going to stop taking medication and see what God's going to do. I'm going to tell you what He's going to do. Nothing. You're going to have to come to the Lord with His Word as an obedient child. If you come to Him as an obedient child with the Word of God in your heart, knowing, Lord, you said, this is it. It's done. I believe you. It can't fail because you said right here. I just also got another praise report. I read it last night, in the wee hours last night. It was awesome. A man, his son, was in an accident just like my granddaughter was. Tore him all to pieces. I mean, tore him all to pieces. I, I thought as he, as he was going, this thing was, I don't know how long it was, but it was two or three pages. As he was going down through there, he said, I'd heard your testimony. And I heard what you did. So he said, when I walked in that hospital and my son tore all to pieces, I said, no, I don't care what you say. He said, it's over. He's dead. He said, no, I ain't going there. He said, I serve the living God. He made me promises. He said, sir, I stood on these promises over and over and over and over and worshiped and praised the king. And I forget now how many total months it took. But after several months, just like Caitlin, after several months, the little boy, he said he's now back to completely, totally normal again. Another Caitlin story. Isn't that God awesome? Does he honor faith? I mean, when the doctors say it's impossible, you stand on the Word. You worship Him and praise Him. You stand on the Word. You worship Him and praise Him. They said, but I couldn't tell no difference. He said, the doctors said they couldn't tell no difference. And in two weeks, they said, we don't know how He's alive, but He can't make it. He said, no, I'm not giving up. He said, this man, he didn't give up. And so he said, I ain't giving up either. He said, I'm standing on the Word. And that's, and water, and he, he told me, this, I don't know, three page letter. One of these days I'll have to bring it and read it. But I'm telling you, to, to hear him tell how he stood for everything, quoted Scripture, just like I did, stood on the Word of God. God is no respecter of persons, is He? He loves us all the same, but He expects you and me to believe His Word. And when the doctors tell you, it's over. It's just like this other family that wrote me an email, and they begin to tell me all the different things that's wrong in their family. And you know, as I saw what was going on in their family... They were a great Christian family. They were an ATI family. They were a Bill Gothard family. And every one of those families I've been associated with are great godly families. And most of them are fairly large families, four to ten children. It just seems to be that those people that go to those have several children. And that's good. No problem with that. But the problem is they've learned how to walk holy before God, but they've not learned who the enemy is. They don't know who the devil is. They don't know their power over the devil. So when the devil comes in to kill, steal, and to destroy, if you know that you're tithing, if you know that you're walking holy before God, you know that you're doing everything that's supposed to be right, and you know you're on a fast when your car starts to turn over, since you're sitting over shaking your head, 
when you know that you're doing everything God says, and all of a sudden you run off the road and start to do an upside-down flip and roll over completely and fall into the creek, you scream, Jesus, sozo me, preserve me. And that little lady right there, the Lord preserved her, sozoed her, totaled her car, tore it all to pieces, broke every window out of it, and she never had a bruise on her or a mark on her or a piece of glass on her because she claimed that word sozo and said, Lord, preserve me. That's what it's one of the meanings. Sozo means all five of those things. So when she claimed that by faith in God's Word, Sarah was able to come through a car wreck, totally destroying her car, without one single mark or bruise. And I get tickled at Dan, her husband over there, he said, you know, on a normal day, I can walk up to Sarah and just pinch her on the arm, just playing a little with her, and just pinch her a little hard right there. If I pinch her a little hard, the next day she's got a bruise there. But he said, after she was rolled over, since she screamed, Jesus throws at me, she was not sore, didn't have a bruise or nothing on her entire body. Now, if you're walking in obedience to God's Word, and you know the promises of God, since He's a faith God, and something does happen, the devil does start to do something to you, you can cry out to God and claim those promises by faith, and what will the king do? He will do it for you, just like he did for her. Now then, if in the area of finances, if you're living and you're not realizing that the Abrahamic covenant is for you and me today, it is for us, because when we became children of God, we, be, we fell under the Abrahamic covenant. So that means we're all supposed to tithe. If you're tithing, giving over and above the tithe to some good ministry somewhere, then start claiming your return. Now, I've told many people here, and I'll tell you again today, that for those of you that give to this ministry, I appreciate your gifts, and I do use this money, of course, for the glory of God. But don't just walk by that box and drop a check in that thing. When you walk over and start to put your money in there, say, Lord, I thank you that I'm giving this gift to your ministry, to your kingdom. And now, Lord, I'm sowing this seed into your kingdom. I expect an abundant harvest on my seed. God is a faith God. Call Him into remembrance of His promises. And if you'll do that, and you're walking obedient, in other words, you're not lying, you're not stealing, you're not cheating, you're not committing adultery, you're not doing all the things He told you not to do, because if... If you're doing all the things you're not supposed to do, He may not bless you very much financially. But the, the main thing is, I've even seen people that were living in all kinds of sin, but yet they were good givers into the kingdom, and God still just blessed them abundantly with money. I've seen that happen. But I've seen them that would be blessed abundantly with money, but they had to give it all to the doctor because they were sick, because they were sinning over here. You know, so the thing about it is, don't do that either. You know, walk in obedience. Then you'll have money to buy things you want instead of giving it all to the doctor. Because doctors are cheap, aren't they, Sharon? Huh? They're not? No. They're not. Did... Oh, sure. You got a statement to make? Come up here. Sure. I'm happy. Um, you were talking about giving to the poor. And I tutor this little boy with muscular dystrophy, and he has a maid who takes care of him. And a couple of weeks, I was over there a couple of weeks ago, and she was crying. And I said, what is the matter with you, Sylvia? And she goes, I have $20 for the rest of the week. You know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I left, and I was driving home, and the Lord said, you know, you have $100, which a friend had given me for my birthday, which they don't usually because it disappears. Anyway, I, I said, Lord, what do you want? You know, what do you want me to do? He says, write her a note. Tell her it's from me. 
So I did. Two weeks later, a lady comes walking into the doctor's office where I work, and she says, oh, I have something for you. And she brings in this big, thick book, this artist book, and a portfolio. And it has eight limited edition watercolor prints signed and numbered from this famous artist. And she goes, these are for you. And my daughter's wife says, she never gives me anything. She's been coming here 20 years, and you get eight prints. And I said, God is good. Amen. He's good. Now then, the thing about it is, the Lord's Word works. I mean, I realize that there's only one place in the entire Word of God that the Lord says He will curse you with a curse. Everywhere else for sin, he just says if you sin, you get cursed. But in the area of finances, he said if you do not give at least 10% into my kingdom, I, God, will curse you with a curse. In other words, a double whammy. So if you're cursed with a curse, what do you think the chances are of you making it good in the financial world? Not very good. Now then, what does a man have to do to get right with God? What do we have to do to get right with God anywhere we miss the boat? Repent. That's exactly right. Does He forgive you? Yes. When you repent of your sin, then you start changing your way. If you were living in some kind of a sin and you were sick and afflicted or you were angry with people all the time, you repent and walk in love. Now that song we sing about love up there, when you think about that's the only commandment God literally gave us today in the church. It's to love your neighbor as yourself after you've loved God with all your heart. So when we walk in love, it's walking in love. The Holy Spirit will lead us as we renew our mind daily with the Word. You learn right off you're supposed to tithe. We say, well, Lord, I've not been tithing, so Lord, I repent. I repent for not giving you at least 10% of my income. So, Lord, I repent for that. Now then, I'm going to start giving you 10%. Now then, Lord, I'm also going to sow a few extra, uh, one or two or three or four or five percent, whatever, I'm going to give extra to this ministry, to that ministry, to that ministry, or whatever. I'm going to give into your kingdom. But when I give, I'm going to give it knowing I'm giving it with a loving heart, a proper attitude, because I know you said you love a cheerful giver. And when I give this, I am not giving it to the ministry. I'm giving it to you. God holds all of us accountable for everything we give. Everything. You had a question, sir? No, I have an excellent tithing testimony. Oh, Okay. Since you're talking about tithing, um, when Dan and I first got married, I had been brought up a Lutheran, and I had never heard about tithing, but Dan was brought up a Baptist. And so we'd been married a few months, and he noticed, you know, I would just give like 5 or $20. I mean, I thought I was giving God a big favor. I'd go to church and give, you know, $20. <laughs> and so, yeah, 5 or 10 yeah. So anyway, um, so he told me about tithing, and I looked in the Scripture, and I said, oh, my goodness, you know. So I repented. And that year, that's been like 22 years ago, and I was administrative assistant, and I was making a salary of $20,000 a year. And I had been a school teacher before, and so that was a lot of money to me. And um, I always got a bonus in, at the end of September, and usually it would be like 1000 or $2,000. Well, the year that I started tithing, God really wanted me to get the message, my bonus that year is $20,000. Wow. A bonus and, equal to your salary. Yes, exactly. Wow. And so I have never, you cannot outgive God. And I'm not talking, I mean, you don't give to God to get money, but... You know, it's like you said, you'd have good health. You know, your car doesn't break down. Your house doesn't break down. Your children are obedient. I mean, there's just so many other ways that God blesses us that we don't even realize 
you know, he rebukes the devourer off of our lives. That's what he Not said. only off of our finances, but off of our family and our loved ones. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's absolutely right. In fact, one of the things that people miss uh, in the, is what Sarah just said. The Lord says in his word in Malachi chapter 3, at verse 11, he says, If you will be obedient and give me the first tenth of your income, I will rebuke the devourer, which is the devil. I will rebuke the devourer for you. Which means the flip side of that, if you don't give the 10%, he will not rebuke the devourer for you. So when the devourer comes and he starts devouring everything around you, you wonder why your financial world or whatever, or your children, it can feed all the way over to disobedient children. The devil will come upon them. He'll do all kinds of things. He'll get your children off on drugs, alcohol, and everything else. Whereas if you had a just tithe and walked on obedience to God's Word, those kind of things would never have happened to you. So... If you're not meeting that criteria, you need to repent. You need to turn from your wicked ways. You need to start giving God at least one-tenth of your income. You need to start giving above and beyond, you know, maybe some good television ministers or some good radio ministers or whatever, but give somewhere where the Word of God is being taught, you know, that's bringing changes in people's lives. Don't just give it to any ministry. Look at the fruits of the ministry or people's lives being changed in that ministry. Is God moving in that ministry? If He is, then give where that fertile soil is. And so, as you give like that and start claiming God's promises, if you'll claim those promises and continue to walk in that and give that over a period of time, I can assure you that it can never fail. I now have ministered to many people that their, their financial world fell apart and they started tithing, sowing those seeds. And some of them happened quicker than others. Some of them took a few months, but some of them took a year but in the long run, every one of the people that became obedient to do what God says, every one of them's lives have become abundantly blessed. Susan, you had a statement? Well, you know what? Um, years ago, like, gosh, I don't know, 15 or so years ago, um, I made a commitment to God about tithing. And instead of giving it every week when I got it, I put it in the savings account. But I, it was his savings account. Well, that was back when some of the televangelists got in trouble and all that. And I just said, hey, wait a minute, I don't think I'll do this. So I spent the money. <laughs> well, you know what? Last year, God convicted me of that. Because, you know, since then I've been a faithful tither and seen God's blessings. But I stay at home, so I don't really have an income. I don't get to give that much. Well, last year, God reminded me about that money from all those years ago. He said, that was my money, and you spent it. So... All my money from my garage sales and stuff, that was like the total savings account that I had was that much money. So I said, well, that, that is a faith thing. That's all my money I have to spend. But I gave it, and uh, this year I prayed about it, and I said, you know, God, I'd really like to have some money. Well, he reminded me of this tax man, and I talked to my husband. I said, can we go and have our taxes done, you know, see if they come up with some extra money. And my husband's like, well, I doubt they will, but sure, we'll go. So we went. We thought, well, maybe they'll find you a couple hundred dollars or fifty dollars or whatever. They found six thousand dollars, and we just got it this last week. And it, and when I looked at the checks, I thought, well, this isn't six thousand dollars. They sent an extra three hundred and seventy-five dollars for extra interest it had earned. <laughs> wow! Praise the Lord! <laughs> wow! Isn't that amazing? And I've heard so many of those, and I've got so many testimonies myself of people that I've shared these kind of things with that were broke or that said they were Christians but didn't go to church because they said the only thing the preacher talks about when I go to church is money. 
Well, that's why I don't talk about money very often. I teach, teach on it very often, but when I do, I hit you with a double whammy the whole message. See, I don't just say something, I really tell you what the Word says. Because, guess what? God's no respecter of persons. He expects me to tithe. You know, I mean, off of my ministry or this ministry, I most definitely tithe over and above off of this ministry. And I want to see this ministry blessed. And then when I need to buy some equipment, I want the money in the bank so I can do it. And as long as I'm tithing off of the ministry, there's never been a problem. And again, another reason I believe this ministry has been so affluent is because you don't know the people that call me and say, how much do you charge for your tapes? I said, I don't charge. They're free and postpaid. You've got to be kidding me. Nobody gives away tapes. I said, I do. I said, I give them away and I pay the postage. And I said, just like this other day, I was up to, while I was up there, a guy said, sir, how many tapes do you have? I said, well, sir, i got a whole bunch. And he said, well, how many do you think you could send me? I said, well, I don't know. I said, uh, if I were to send you, say, uh, 15 videos and uh, uh, 20 audio tapes, I said, that'd give you plenty. Uh, he said, I'll tell you what, send me three of every one of them. So I want three of every video and three of every audio. He said, now, how much are they? I said, they're free and postpaid. He said, no, okay. He said, okay. That's okay with you. That's okay with me. I said, you're going to use them, right? He said, yeah, we're going to all, we're going to spread them around up here in, in the uh, Flint area. He said, we're going to use them. So when I got home and looked in that little sack, that man's name was on a check for $500. You think that'll pay for those videos and audios and shipping them? Oh, sure it will. Absolutely. And have money left over. Absolutely. He paid, if I'd have told him that it had been $5 a piece, you know, or $3 a piece or whatever, that's what he'd have paid me. Well, since I told him they were free and postpaid, you know. I mean, it's amazing what people do. I mean, I had a lady one time, and I don't think she's here today. If she is, I won't recognize her because I don't want, you know, the glory given to anybody but God. But there's a lady called me one day, and she wanted 500 audio tapes. 500. That's a whole box, big box full of tapes. And then she wanted about 150 videotapes. I said, what are you going to do with all these? She said, I spread your tapes around everywhere I go. I give those tapes away. I said, well, okay. She said, how much are they? I said, ma'am, they're free and postpaid. She said, but Thurman, give me a number. I said, no, ma'am. I will not give you a number. They're free and postpaid. I sent them all to her, mailed them. 500 audios, 150 or 200 videos. And about a week and a half later, I got a check in the mail for from her for $3,000. You see, give it. What did God say? Give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall man give into your bosom. For with the same measure you use to give, shall it be returned to you. So that's what I do. That's why I don't charge. If what I do is of God, He's going to take care of it. If it's not of God, I might as well go find, go back to engineering. I can make a, I can make a living doing something else. But this is a whole lot more fun hearing from God and seeing Him heal bodies and deliver people and answer things and sending me a beautiful lady like this is a whole lot more fun serving the King. I want you all to know I'm fond of this little lady already. I don't care what any of you all say. She's my bride. I don't care what anybody says. And I love her. And I'll tell you, some of the things I've been teaching you all about how a man ought to treat his wife, I may give you all some demonstrations from up here. <laughs> what you're supposed to do to love her. I think the other day when I grabbed her up here and kissed her right up here, I think some of y'all almost swallowed your tongue. You didn't think a pastor could do those kind of things, but believe me, I still know how to do that. 
<laughs> oh, it's lots of fun, isn't it? If you haven't sat down with your wife and smooched with her in a while, when you go home tonight, guys, I don't care how old or how young you are, sit down with your wife, draw your two tables, your chairs up together, side by side, face each other, sit there and talk to each other a while, and every once in a while, guy, reach over and put your arms around her, pull her up close, and just kiss her real gently and softly on the lips and tell her how much you love her. She will appreciate that, won't you? Yes, every lady will. Okay, we're going to close with a word of prayer, and then we're going to, I guess we'll sing one song if possible here. Can we sing something, Dick, or play one or something? And then anybody that needs anything, if you'll come up here for any kind of decision, we will pray for you or whatever, and all of our audio and videotapes are all back there at the back. And uh, anything you want is free. And uh, I think we brought a whole box of the last Sunday's service, but a while ago before the service started, we were already down to three of them. So I guess they all disappeared, but we'll have some more. Uh, Charlie, yes, ma'am? Did you have those in the cassettes, too, from last Sunday? Oh, yeah, I guess. Uh, did we have the cassettes of last Sunday's service? Wally or Josh or... Did we have cassette audio tapes of last Sunday's service? Huh? Of, of, of last Sunday. I know we had some videos of last Sunday, but did we have an audio? We didn't We didn't have? Okay, we will have some. Yeah, we'll bring some. Cause we, we did have an audio made. We made an audio last Sunday, but I guess we just didn't make any copies. Did what, sir? Oh, the radio. Oh, before we sing, let me tell you, starting Monday, I'm going to be back on the radio in the Dallas area again. On 1630 a.m. 1630 a.m. Monday through Friday at 1.30 p.m. They put me back in the exact same spot I was before. 1630 KKGM or something like that. Thank you. What time? 1.30 p.m. every day Monday through Friday. I will be back on the radio teaching the Word of God one more time uh, every day. For those of you that have a computer that haven't been able to hear it, if you've got a computer that's hooked up to the Internet, you can go back to my website and you can listen to every radio show since last December. They're on your computer on the website. And uh, Dave Rosenfeld, I've got this last week's uh, messages, or the next three weeks' messages up here on a disc, on a CD. Uh, you can take those with you and we can put those in there so we'll have those. But if you have a computer, you, you don't have to miss it. You can be at work working and go into the website, pull it up and click on it, and it'll start playing. Then you go ahead and just not close it, but minimize it. And go ahead and do whatever you want to do. Type, use your computer, do everything else, and still listen to it while you're working. So for those of you that don't know that.